Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello. How are you? Do you smell? I smell. How is your personal hygiene going? Uh, I can tell you that my hands are very clean and the rest of my body and my hair are not. Um, I'm just covered in a, a, a film of dirt. And uh, it's a sad, sad realisation when you're in your 30s and it's only then that you learn everything you ever said about uh, wanting to dress up and, and be clean and look good was you know, for yourself, not for other people. What bullshit. It was all for you guys. And I didn't know that until now because I have left myself as the unpolished herd. But I do, I do think that I'm managing to start to fathom how long this is going to go on now. And I'm just trying to find whatever peace I can with this and, and recognize that we have no control and it's okay to relinquish that control and try to step away from the news and try and step away from people who are making you feel anxious and just try to use this moment as as a pause for self-reflection and I don't mean that in some sort of woo-woo bullshit annoying way I mean some people are going to be working on their fucking abs and that's fine that's their choice but some people like myself for example are still in need of this pause where I'm not able to be distracted by uh, life and stress and and I'm not able to escape by hanging out with my friends and going out to pubs and bars and restaurants. I'm stuck inside my own brain and it's allowing me a moment for, you know, these painful feelings to surface and rather than push them away, which I've often done before because I've been busy, I now have a moment to, as unsettling as it can be at times just investigate those feelings and figure out what it is that I need and could need to and could do differently and so I wonder if that's something that you're also doing and I hope that this podcast continues to be a part of that journey where either you learn things about other people or learn things about yourselves and um, for some people who don't know what this podcast is uh, for and why it's called I Weigh and why I dare to ask a bunch of Hollywood actors what they weigh at the end of this podcast um I started a movement two years ago by accident called I Weigh uh, because I was sick of seeing pictures of women with numbers written across their bodies and those numbers were never how many awards they'd won uh, or how much money they'd earned. It was always just what they weigh. These are some of the most successful and well-decorated women in the entire history of entertainment, always still just reduced down to simply how little space they took up in this world. And to have found myself in 2018 still seeing women measured and, and poked and prodded and, and objectified in this way made me furious. So I one day tweeted out, oh, well, I weigh my relationship, my uh, contribution to society, my activism, my, my financial independence, my friends, uh, my eating disorder that I've overcome. Just a bunch of different things that made me who I am today. I weigh the sum of all of my motherfucking parts. And it went viral and has continued to go viral for the last two years where now we have a million followers on, on Instagram and, and it's turned into a new way of thinking about our bodies as vessels that just harness our minds and our lives and our experiences because that's who we are. So that's why I say it and that's why this is what we call the podcast. Uh, this isn't specifically a podcast about body image. It's about shame and mental health and just generally how we heal our insides. Anyway, I am so excited to bring you today's guest. Uh, it is the incomparable Reese Witherspoon. She's been a hero of mine for decades now, not just as an actor, but also as a producer, a storyteller, an advocate, and someone who takes absolutely no shit on any red carpet whatsoever. She's always broken all of the rules and is such a game changer. And she 
really, really, really walks the walk and is willing to go there and be vulnerable with people. I really didn't know what to expect from today's interview because she's just so fucking famous. But she came and just bared her soul and told me so much about her emotional journey, not only through this industry, but through life as a mother and just as a woman surrounded by so much patriarchy and misogyny. She talked to me about her mental health and and medication and, and, and also what it's like to have to actually break those glass ceilings, what that feels like and how exhausting but worthwhile it can be. There's kind of nowhere that we didn't go today and i hope you enjoy this interview as much as i did she's such a fucking legend so hooray today's guest is reese witherspoon Witherspoon. Hello. Hi. So I am, uh, I'm so thrilled to have you on this podcast because I've looked up to you forever. I've been such a big fan of you, not only as an actor, but now as a businesswoman, as an advocate. You are an Academy Award winning actress, one of Time Magazine's most influential people, one of Forbes's most influential women. You are a super producer, a hugely successful entrepreneur and activist, and you're nice. How dare you? <laughs> you make me sound so good. You are so good. Thank you for being here. It really means the fucking world. Oh, I'm happy to be here. I have so much respect for the for all the good you put in the world and all that positive messaging. And I've been a fan of yours for so long. And I've reached out to you, you know, behind the scenes. But I'm glad that we're kind of getting to connect and and share what we we love about each other. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. So. I want to talk to you about so much. You've had such a long career. You started in this business as a child. Uh, Man on the Moon was when you were 14? Yeah, 14. Yeah. I loved that movie, by the way. I think I watched it about 100 times when I was a kid. Uh, you are decades deep into this mad industry, including the birth and reign of the tabloid craze. And while researching you, I found hundreds of videos of paparazzi filming and stalking you and media obsession with your private life in a way that doesn't quite exist now. Maybe because, is it because we, maybe celebrities spill their own tea on their Instagrams? So we've kind of put those people I mean out of business a little bit? That's definitely one of the first reasons I got on social media to control, you know, the way that people were perceiving me because it just wasn't accurate. So controlling the conversation between myself and people who are fans. And then it became about this wonderful community and relationship that I have with people who are pretty like-minded. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, that's kind of evolved. But yeah, definitely it was a reaction to being spoken about in a way that wasn't true. I think that's the same for everyone in particular women because so much gossip and speculation exists around all of us uh, who are in any kind of power. And so I, I think it's great that people are now been a, people have now been able to kind of put a lot of the paparazzi and a lot of the stalking paparazzi out of business. I mean, people are even posting their underwear shots so no one needs to get the pictures up skirt anymore because everyone's <laughs> posing in their knickers. It's fantastic. Yeah. But, but you, you know, I'd be, there's actually so much paparazzi at this moment um, outside yes. my house, outside my other friend's house. Um, outside, there's a bunch of people who live in my neighborhood. And um, it's been, it's hard to go outside, you know? Yeah, I got. It's hard to take a walk with your dog and not have your kids be my kid in his mask yeah. being photographed, you know? Yeah. It just I feels kind of gross. I got photographed at the supermarket a couple of weeks ago and I think they were hoping, were I think they were hoping to catch me buying 10,000 toilet rolls and all of the Clorox wipes <laughs> and all of the food so no one else could buy it but I was just buying uh, pizza <laughs> like a fucking student yeah <laughs> um I agree I agree uh, I should have just bought loads of dildos uh next you time you it. know what for the, for the next <laughs> They have those in Tesla? Yeah, yeah, one. Yeah, they <laughs> there you I, go. Uh, that is that is my plan now. From now on, I'm just gonna I'm going to exclusively go dildo shopping for the duration of the. I think quarantine. it's a great strategy. Thank you. It's great. Um, you just she went 
she went there. Yeah. So the question I want to ask you, having gone back and read through all of that and seen the kind of career you had and the parts you've played and who you've acted opposite, how in the fucking hell have you stayed sane? Never mind having become one of the examples of like sturdy focus and drive and power and community. How have you done this? Um, well, I've definitely had a lot of not sane moments mm -hmm. <laughs> in my life. I've had a lot of like crying on the kitchen floor yeah. and, my, and my kids putting their stuffed animals on top of me going, it's going to be okay, mom. Oh. Um, I'm just human. I mean, I think um, I've always really connected to people. I just love audiences. I grew up in, um, I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee which is a super normal childhood. Mm -hmm. I had really great grandparents who raised me while my parents worked really hard. Um, I had a really loving mother um, who just never let me get above my station or feel like, I, you know, mm -hmm. it was always about family and giving back. And my grandparents were just really incredible people who were always involved in the community, always at church, always giving back. So I learned a lot from them. And um, I don't know, I guess I think I've always just had a, this idea that like, we're all just the same of each other. We're just all trying to find what our special skills are. And my special skill is storytelling, but it doesn't make me a special person. Mm -hmm. You know, talent doesn't make you a good person. That's no, it definitely doesn't. <laughs> no, 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 no. I've, uh, you and I have met probably a lot yeah. of the same people. And talent does not make them nice people. No. <laughs> but... But, it is a, but it, a big value system in my family was, are you a good person? And did you utilize therapy or support groups over the course of having such a public and uh, such a public and, and successful, such a almost relentlessly successful career? Oh, yes. I've had so much therapy, which has been really great. How, um, how when did you start? In therapy? 15, 15 or 16. You were 15 when you started? 15 or 16, I think I was 16 um, when I started therapy. I, um, I definitely had anxiety. I had my anxiety manifests as depression. So I was, I would get really depressed. And um, it's like my brain is like a hamster on a wheel and it won't come off. And I've been managing it my entire life. Um, you know, my grandma struggled from the same stuff. And it's so... I would see her struggle and the stigma around it mm -hmm. really um, debilitated her. And she was punished within her community and within her, like, definitely, you know, her job. She had to, she was fired, you know, from, because she struggled a lot with anxiety and depression. So I feel really fortunate that I am able to get help that I, at times that I've needed, I've been able to take medicine. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, it's just, is something I that I've learned coping mechanisms around my entire life. I'm so relieved that we're now in a period where we can talk about this stuff openly and we can tell people about medication. I've recently started medication for anxiety and it's so great to no longer feel a fear or stigma when I'm telling other people that sometimes I just can't cope and that that's okay. Mm. But I love the fact that, uh, and I mean this with no disrespect whatsoever to America, but during, the, think of the time in the... To be in Nashville uh, back then and to have parents who recognized that you needed a bit of help is so amazing. It's so rare to hear that story that someone will willingly put their child into therapy. I think that's fantastic. You have, you sound like you have great yeah. parents. Well, my mom is really amazing. Yeah. And she was a pediatric nurse for 35 years and she taught pediatric nursing at the state university. So she um, would talk about mental health in a way that wasn't, um, it wasn't biased. It wasn't judgmental. It was just really no nonsense. Like this is a thing and depression is real and we go at things. We don't pretend they're not happening. So I was really lucky to have a mom like that. And also it's helped me with my own kids mm -hmm. and with my friends to say, you know, there's nothing embarrassing or shameful about any of this. Mm -hmm. I think some of the, the ideas, particularly in different pieces and parts of, of America are very repressed and, and conservative, but, um, yeah, I, I, anything that people can do to destigmatize it, it's just 
it's all very treatable as well. It's also no different from and, a broken leg or a broken arm or a, you know, a UTI. It's just, <laughs> it's just something that isn't working that needs to be exactly. fucking fixed. I mean, if you had a urinary, if you had a urinary tract infection, would you not take any antibiotics? I would take antibiotics I mean, and I would tell everyone. I'm not one of them. No. <laughs> I'm somewhere in the middle, Jamila. I'm not going to tell everybody about my UTI, but I am going to take the medicine. Well, if you've seen my Twitter, you know I have zero filter. What would you say has been your biggest struggle with your mental health over the course? Is it, is it more of an anxiety thing, would you say? For me, it's been anxiety. Um, yeah, anxiety and also around hormones with having a baby. Having, I've had three kids and then after each child, I had a different experience. One kid I had kind of mild postpartum and then one kid I had severe postpartum mm -hmm. where I had to take pretty heavy medication um, because I just wasn't thinking straight at all. And then I had one kid where I had no, no postpartum at all. Yeah, just fine. Who knows? But I do think hormones are so... Um, understudied and under not understood. Mm -hmm. And I kept reaching out to my doctors for answers. There just isn't enough research about what happens to women's bodies. Um, and the hormonal shifts that we have just aren't taken as seriously as I think they should be. Um, so I have deep compassion for women who are, who are going through that um, and really always trying to help, you know, the people that I'm in touch with and even my audience on Instagram and everything connect to people over that postpartum is very real. Mm -hmm. um, and there's so many resources that we just have to help each other find what they are and keep getting the word out there. Resources is in like books and literature, or do you mean actual like treatment? Real treatment and doctors that are available online. Yeah. This it's really real. There's all these online clinics now where you don't have to pay exorbitant amounts of money to go in and see a doctor and talk about it. And you do have online support and help oh, here in this country, for sure. For sure. And also like cyclically, most of us can feel that there's some sort of dramatic hormonal shift. I become a hungry monster uh, <laughs> for about a week of every single month. Um, but also I think it's partially down to the stigma that we have of always accusing women of hysteria. And, and looking at hormones as something that is purely emotional, even though it's really just an emotional impact. Yeah. And we don't understand the kind of hormonal ro roller coaster that, that you go on when you stop nursing. Like no one explained that to me. I was 23 years old when I had my first baby and no one explained to me that when you wean a baby, your hormones go into the toilet. Right. And you will suddenly be, I, I felt more depressed than I'd ever felt in my entire life. And um, it was scary. It's like a come down, I, I completely out of control. Completely out of control. I didn't have the right kind of guidance or help, but I managed to, I just like white knuckled that. And that was, you know, just, I didn't have my mom around. She was in another state. There wasn't the kind of communication that we can have now. Um, so... I don't know. Just take women seriously, please. I think it's because, please take, yeah, exactly. Please fucking listen please, to us. Please, everyone out there, please. Uh, you know, and when I, when I hear things like women of color even struggle with this more yeah. because they are even, it's even worse than the, the amount that they are not believed. Mm -hmm. I watched, you know, something on now this, I think about women calling in with different um, voices to different talk uh, advice helplines and the way they spoke to what they perceived as a woman of color versus a white woman was astounding. Yeah. The difference. Well, I mean, even right it, now during this pandemic, we're hearing more deaths of black women in particular who are being turned away, like young black women who are being uh, sent home with symptoms and some of them have passed away. Like it's just a, it's a nightmare. And also in particular, when we're talking about women, I think, I think it's fair to say that because the medical industry has been so predominantly male I mean it's still predominantly male but in a way that was just almost there were no women involved there was no empathy for what women feel and what women go through and what are hormonal uh, roller coasters alike I think had we had more women in medicine from the beginning then there would have been uh, a sort of foundation of empathy and understanding men cannot relate just like we can't relate to what they well, call their their sort of you know their nut mist well, look. <laughs> no, sorry. Not missed. It's just the the. I don't know what that it's is. The gorilla. Is that a the, medical term? No, it's the gorillas in the mist sort of haze that men go through if they oh. do not release. Reese, 
So. Oh, I've never heard this term. No. This is amazing. Yeah, let's, I'm learning it. Let's move on immediately. What were you going to say? That was far more sensible. <laughs> I was going to say there's a lot of women in healthcare. Yes. I think they outnumber men. There's not a lot of women in power. Yeah, that's what or I mean. in control. Yes, in within so, healthcare, within nursing. I mean more like within the. I feel like in our labs, we could still have more women. And in the the people who are doing the more of the hormonal research, I'm seeing tremendous change uh, across the board. But I still walk into labor into laboratories where I see one female uh, senior uh, scientist who's working on something in a sea of sausage. And it is just mm. extraordinary to me. <laughs> that is quite, it's quite a picture that you paint. Yes. yes. I'm sorry, Reese. The sea of sausage. <laughs> I'm incapable <laughs> of talking about anything elegantly. Um, <laughs> but I'm so glad that you speak out about that because I feel like not enough people do. And I feel like in particular with mothers, there is so much shame around uh, ever struggling to cope with your hormones or not immediately connecting with your baby and not instantly being super mother. Uh, and I, I, I hear stories from my friends who have children of the the mummy pressure and the mummy shaming mm. that goes on. So I like yeah. that, that you're able to just own up to the fact that sometimes it's just fucking impossible. It really is. And and I think I can't imagine what it must be like right now at this time to be pregnant or about to deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, just the amount of fear around all of it. I have such, uh, it, like that is one of the things that will keep me up at night. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of friends who are pregnant. Um, and just this uncertainty and unknown around this really kind of terrifying moment anyway. A lot of people have fear around birth. Um, and uh, it's kind of your, I don't know, this big thing in the universe. I just, I want to help support people. I want to give them all the love that I can and any kind of resources that I can. And But I have deep compassion, deep. No, I know. And it's it definitely shows. And I'm, I'm hoping that we will find our way out of this as quickly as possible. Um, I'm having one of those days. I'm no, just I sorry. get it. No, it's fine. I'm having like a day everything's so heavy on my heart today yeah. and I yesterday when I spoke to you it was like oh okay yeah I was pretty optimistic and then today like there's just days where I'm an empath you know yeah and Bill Withers died it's so cute. I know and Bill Withers died nightmare and it, just a lovely day and I know uh, and also like you know sunshine. even even when someone's in their 90s when they're that talented they're always gone too soon yeah, Always. and and our our great artists, our great creators that just make us feel it's just always a terrible loss. I think it's fine, but I will say this is cute. I was saying to my son, um, my son is seven, and we were talking about. I said, "Oh, I'm worried about someone," and he's like, "Oh, empathy." And I said, well, "What is this? <laughs> what is that?" He did a Larry David said, shrug. Yeah, like he holds his hands up like he's weighing a scale. He's like. You're holding your feelings and someone else's feelings in the same place. I was like, what's that? He goes, it's a tool in my toolbox. Oh, and I said, well, my. what are the other tools in your toolbox? And he said, patience. And he went like this with his hand where he put like a rock on his hand like this. And then he said, he covered his ears and he said, um, getting quiet if I feel overwhelmed. And he, then he threw something imaginary in the trash. He said, throwing away bad feelings. What <laughs> in the said, name of Dalai Lama shit is this? How is he? It's the cute. It's the cutest thing I ever saw. And I thought, why don't grownups have these tools? He was turning a key and saying friendship is, is turning a key to opening your heart or something. And I was like, thank you for your teachers that taught you these tools before we went into isolation. <laughs> <laughs> because. I can say, please have patience with me. And he knows exactly what I'm talking about. And I thought, how long has he known this? And, you know, this has also illuminated to me how insanely amazing teachers are. Yes. Oh, my God. I think everyone's really realizing. Teachers are going to get so much alcohol, so many gifts at the end of this. (laughs) Holidays. Totally. I'm buying lots of iPhones and iPads yeah. and like anything I can do, anything to contribute. No, I saw that you've been giving, uh, you've been, just you've been so giving blown free away. clothes to teachers. I can see that it's already pouring out yes. of you. Just as, <laughs> yes, just as a pick me up. My mom was a teacher. My grandma was a teacher. And I think 
I think about how many of them are staying at home. I read this New York Times article where this woman is taking care of her three kids while she's homeschooling her third graders who need her so badly, you know? And it's like, what? I know. What, it's, it's just, it's a How lot. are they figuring it out? I think are they, they're adapting so quickly. It's amazing. I think the most important thing is that actually people get to hear that we that 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 other people can't cope. I think it's okay if you're you if you don't feel upbeat and you don't feel uh, optimistic today. That's fine. And anyone listening to this, I hope they feel the same way because social media can always, as we know, present such a such a, a one sided view of how people are managing through this incredibly stressful and tense situation. I have a tech service with thousands of people who follow me on the internet where they can just send me personal messages that no one else will see. And people are just fraught right now. So please feel free to just feel however the fuck you feel and just be however you are today on this podcast. And That's every day. so nice. Um, That's so liberating. Thank you. No, it's fine. I'm not like dance, monkey, dance. Uh, <laughs> I, um, I want to switch uh, directions slightly. I would like to talk about image with you for a minute. And I mean, mm-hmm. you've always been regarded as uh, an incredibly beautiful woman within this industry. Uh, you have spoken out before about being discounted from the list of sexy actresses, uh, to which you expressed relief, which I thought was really interesting. Because you, um, you <laughs> yes. what did you say? What funny relief. doesn't sag. Funny doesn't sag. Yeah, I'm going to get that on a like... t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> It just doesn't. (laughs) Um, But I was wondering if you've ever felt pressure with your aesthetics, with body, uh, with age. Are you kidding me? I work in Hollywood. No, I I know. I never, you never know though. No, no. I started getting it when I was 16 and I went through a hormonal change on a movie. And I, I remember the producer pulled me aside probably it was like a six month movie too. It was really long. Mm. And he pulled me aside at the very end. This is really interesting because I was away from my mom. I was with, um, it was a really remote film in another country and I had to have a guardian with me. So my mom wasn't with me. She was working. I was with my guardian. I was making the, the movie and I'd started the movie when I was 15. I turned 16 on the movie and I'd been away for probably five months, which is a little unorthodox, but that's how it was. Yeah. And the, I remember the producer coming up to me towards the end of the movie and saying, Hey Reese, you're, you're gaining weight. Ugh. So can you, can you not eat like as much donut? We noticed you're really enjoying the donuts <gasps> and stuff. And can you put down the donuts and stuff? And I was like, I, I'd never had anybody say something like that to me. Um, and I remember feeling really embarrassed and like I wasn't being professional. And um, we ended the movie and I remember feeling like, yeah, I guess my clothes were fitting tighter. And um, he's like, yeah, it just doesn't look like how we started the movie. And I was like, oh, yeah. I went home and my mother saw me and she goes, you went through puberty. You have breasts now. And I was like, what? She goes, your whole body changed over the summer. And I realized what he was saying to me was like, stop your body from changing. Yeah. I can't believe someone can and say that to a child. That's so insane. That's so that's that's the kind of thing that drops damage right into the middle of you because you're wide open at that age. Now, if mm. someone says something to me about my weight, I tell them to fuck off very liberally. Yeah. <laughs> but but back then, that was the age at which the, the, the world managed to get inside my head. And it's been... Well, my mother was really good. She was great. like, what is that man talking about? You gr- you have boobs. Like, yeah. you went from nothing to having breasts. Yeah. Your whole your hips filled out. And that's not... What is she, what's that fucking guy talking about? No, and so and you also, you've also had, she handled that really well. No, I'm so glad. But you also had multiple children over the course of your uh, career from a very young age. So again, your body's fluctuating and, and you were shooting while pregnant and promoting straight after babies. Right. And so your body right. was probably constantly changing. I didn't really track. You've always sort of looked roughly the same size to me. But I imagine, especially as some of that was the 90s where we had heroin chic as the sort of norm. I imagine that was a fucking bad time to be famous. I never, I never understood it. It, I never understood that thing where women were really like emaciated, 
not, not eating yeah. food. And that was almost like a competitive thing about who was skinnier. And yet that was held up to all of the people in the world for such a long time as what is normal. And if you do not meet that standard, if you dare to age or if you dare to gain any weight or you have any kind of flab anywhere near your upper arm, then there is something wrong with you. Whereas this like 0.001% of the main of, of mainstream pop culture are able to achieve that aesthetic. I mean, even muscles for a while were considered bad and wrong for a woman's body. We were supposed to just be waifish. And I feel like it it's the fucking sample sizes that are the crux of the biggest demand for people to still worry so much about maintaining the same size. It's not normal for so many different women of so many different ages and so many different heights and racial backgrounds to all have to exist within the same set size. That doesn't make sense. I'm I'm South Asian. I have bigger hips than than other people naturally that is just my those are my bones and I carry weight differently to to different people from different races and it's these sample sizes that we have to get into in order to promote our work or walk onto the red carpet that makes women have to starve themselves in order to be able to wear the nice clothes and if you don't wear the nice clothes you don't get the good critique and then you don't get to go into the magazine it's like a whole loop of shit it's a cycle it's a whole systems on top of systems and i agree i think one of the most powerful things was when all the women decided to wear black at the golden globes mm-hmm. because the conversations we had around that and and i was with hundreds of women during that time about how they feel in those moments when people ask them about what they're wearing, not about the work that they yeah. did. Because the, the dresses are beautiful and they're wonderful. And it's a celebration of mm. artistry, but it's not, it's not, I didn't create that dress. No. I created a performance. I created opportunities for women to star in a, a motion picture that's about women's connection to nature. Or that's what I'm there to talk mm. about. And I feel like there was a great... Um, not only was there just solidarity and finally conversation around some of these systems that have just, we were told that's, that's just what it is. Mm. That's the system. And I have to say Meryl Streep this year, we were at an award show and she started me and she goes, I've had this dress for 25 years. I'm not getting new dresses. Yeah. It's gorgeous. It works. I love it. We're going to talk about it more in just a second. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week, you know, as you're bottling things up, because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel, you know, you're going to get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to. And this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week. You just have this complete freedom. Honestly, I think everyone should have therapy, regardless of whether they think they need it, because it's so amazing to have a confidant. It's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean 
every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well... Oh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Talk to me about your decision to stop waiting around. I know this began with a shitty script that you uh, thought was beneath you and then you found out that mm. loads of other actresses were up for that same role. Mm. Yeah, I read this terrible, terrible misogynistic script where this kind of buffoonish man had multiple women throwing themselves at him and they were a bunch of boob jokes and things. And I thought, this is such garbage. And I called my agent and I said, I'm not doing this. Who would do this? And she said, every actress in Hollywood wants this part. It's funny. These two parts. I wonder if it's the same role. It probably isn't the same role, but I went through a similar thing uh, where I kind of stopped auditioning a couple of years ago uh, after, for a while, after I read this script by, I'm not going to say his name, but it's a very, very famous actor who, a very, very, very famous actor who has written his own script. And the lines were so offensive that I was speechless, uh, rendered speechless after reading them. I think to the, some of the lines were, uh, I want you to cover me in your man milk was one of the lines ah. that my character was supposed to say to him. And at one point I was supposed to be in a shower washing myself and two men walk in while I'm showering. And this isn't a porno, this is a mainstream film uh, that maybe has been made now. <laughs> and maybe I've <laughs> outed the actor, but uh, she's supposed to want to continue showering in front of him and say like, oh, do you mind if I finish showering? I've had a really dirty day. And then she says to them that she wants both of, she wants to feel both of their, I'm sorry to say this to you, Reese Witherspoon, because you seem so pure. But both of your cocks to slap together inside <laughs> my mouth. I want to feel both of what? your cocks slapping together inside my mouth, which which begs the question: How big is my mouth? How small yeah. are their cocks? If there's room to Ooh. to slap together? Well, I mean, so this was the kind of thing I was reading post Times Up. <laughs> this is 2017. Girl, you know how to paint a picture. Oh yeah. <laughs> By the way, post Times. Up. Mm-hmm. Because let's just be clear: nobody waved a magic wand, and there was gender equality in our business. Exactly. <laughs> just because some people started talking. Yeah. I. Um, no. So you read that shitty script. You uh, you went and you spoke to your lovely ally of a husband, and he told you yes. he encouraged you to find your own your own work to create your own roles. Is that correct? Yeah. He's like, you read so many books. Why don't you just start buying them and turning them into movies? And I was like, all right. And then I started and the first two I made were Wild and Gone Girl, um, both based on amazing books. And it started from there. And then it just became, look, I've had so many ups and downs with my producing career. That's I've only been producing for 10 years now, but... um, We've only seen ups. On the outside, it looks like you are just... just there's Home some running. downs, sister. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I decided to self-fund my company. Yeah. Um, look, I had the means to self-fund a company, which is extraordinary. But it was also, there's a reason people tell you not to put your own money into yep. things. So there were times where I didn't know how I was going to make payroll. I didn't know how to create more revenue. I'm lucky to have business partners who came in and rewrote my business plan. Mm-hmm. Um so that I had a digital side of my business as well. But I refused to do it the way that it had been done for hundreds of years in Hollywood, where you know, you, you're you dedicated to one studio and they decide whether or not they're going to make your pictures. Well, that doesn't work out for women. It just doesn't. One, or, or people of color. Or people who represent any underrepresented group. Mm-hmm. The corporate mandates are prohibitive. And, and maybe even if they slip, shift slightly, it's not enough to revolutionize what is getting made. And so it's just important to me that I didn't go about things the same way that always been done in order to produce a different result because the Hollywood wasn't made for there to be this system of equal storytelling and representation. And would think about all the stories that have been lost. Mm-hmm. That is what I, we don't need I them, Reese, because we've got loads of great reruns, you see. We've got loads of great <sighs> remakes that we just slap a woman on, um, so it's fine. 
Don't need new stories. I think <laughs> about, the, I, I mean, I think how much do I not know because of the, the, the gates and the barriers mm-hmm. that have been up for so, so long. So if it looks like a bunch of women and, and people of color and people who represent LGBTQ characters on film are busting their ass and producing and producing and producing and producing. It's because there's hundreds of years of deficit. Yeah. We're missing. And we need to know more. And one thing that I love is that in recognizing that you yourself were so limited in your roles as a, a young, straight, slim, beautiful white woman, that things must have been so much harder for those more marginalized. And that's what has galvanized you to create not only roles for yourself, but for women uh, and for people from all other walks of life. I'm grateful for your sense of self-awareness because not everyone has that. A lot of it. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. But I benefit from hearing different life perspectives and we all do. And I don't want a world in which I only hear stories about people who look like me. That just isn't mind expanding. It's not curious enough and it's not good enough. What's your journey been like in kind of becoming a more and more informed person in particular, like post Time's Up? You know, I imagine... (laughs) I, I wonder because I think, you know, we're in this moment of such uh, it's such, such delicacy and and people are told off for not knowing all of the answers and not having all of the correct updated information as to how to speak about binary or how to speak about race uh, tensions and, and disability and all these different things, um, LGBTQ issues. What has your journey been like uh, in expanding your horizons and your experience? Has it been a a steep learning curve? Do you make mistakes? Are you someone who's... Sure. Okay. How do you (laughs) you tend to educate yourself? Is it reading? I read a lot, but I also ask friends and I ask for people's patience with me as I try to figure it out. And I would rather make a mistake than never try. Mm -hmm. Same. And I think... I try to be very thoughtful and cautious with my words because words can be painful and powerful. Um, I try to process before I say anything. Mm -hmm. I am a 24 hour processor. um, So I really think about things. Um, I think about how they're received more than how they make me feel sometimes. Um, So I think it's just that combination of having really wonderful friends who and I don't expect them to be the end all know all of everything either, yeah. you know, but who take time to just um, say, mm, I mean, c- collaborating with Kerry Washington on Little Fires mm-hmm. is the greatest example because we were tackling thing, uh, topics of class, race, sexuality. And in we such with- nuanced ways, by the way, your portrayal, I've Thank just, you. I've just finished episode five uh, and I'm loving oh, it. I'm dying <laughs> to see what happens next. But I, I think your display of hilarious sort of clumsy and like sort of devastating white fragility is really, <laughs> is really, really well executed. And it's done in such a nuanced way where you can see that not only does your character not have a malicious intention with her clumsiness or with your children's clumsiness, but also there's a sense of thinking you, and pardon me if I get this wrong, but feeling like you're quite evolved, like that feeling of mm. like, oh, I don't see colour and all those other mm-hmm. really dangerous statements and accusing someone of bringing race into something when they have rightfully pointed out <laughs> a difference in privilege. I think that I think you got it. Okay. But <laughs> I think you got it. I like, you nailed it. I like the fact that you're able to show the, you know, because this is the struggle that people are having currently. They are struggling with owning up to their own white privilege, owning up to their, I think maybe that comes partially from a fear of, uh, acknowledging that they may have had a leg up and people not understanding that uh, that sometimes privilege can just be an absence of discrimination. Sometimes privilege can be just as simple as that. And right. what would... Or, or, or you know, I've, I've had people say to me, well, I'm not a rich white yes, person. Exactly. But, I, but what they're not acknowledging is the hundred, hundreds and thousands of years of freedom yeah. Or lack of oppression or opportunity. Yep. Um, but there's th- these conversations are super nuanced. And I think you have to have them with sentient people. I think you have to have them with empathetic people. Back to empathy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they are a necessity. Yeah. Like, I'm not interested in having a media company that doesn't 
acknowledge what's really going on in this world. And what's really happening, if you are a thoughtful person, is um, unconscionable. What's happening, you know, in so many ways, revolving race and class and um, wealth disparity, yeah. discrimination, harassment. I, 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 I'm just a person that holds that place in my life for people that I just, I, I deeply think about these things and I do what I can, yeah. which is tell stories and create opportunity. Give, give, I give the microphone to other people. So hopefully, you know, that is, that's my way of saying I'm here to listen and not talk. Sometimes. I was going to say, what is your advice for people out there who are privileged either because they are able-bodied or because they are wealthy or because they are just simply white or cis or straight uh, who feel afraid to venture into learning because sometimes when you try and you get it wrong, you are punished more so than the people who don't try. Um, what mm. would be your advice to those people in entering this journey of progress and and understanding? I think about Brene Brown a lot and the vulnerability talks that she gives or about daring greatly. Isn't it better to try than to never put yourself out there in a way? Mm -hmm. I mean, fear also is the absence of love and expansion and curiosity. So I'm always... I think of creativity as infinite yeah, and love is infinite and fear is very small. And it's helpful to check your ego at the door, I found, because I'm entering, I'm inserting myself into so many spaces where I'm ill-equipped currently to speak on yeah. fluently, but I'm just in yeah. it trying and trying to figure out how to be of service and be helpful. And I do fuck up sometimes, but. And by the way, fuck up, yeah. you know, fuck up and then say sorry. Yes. What? But I definitely say sorry when I mess up. Yes, you do. I, I remember watching. I'm accountable yeah, for it. I watched a video of you once having to make an apology on Good Morning America for some <laughs> sort of incident uh, that we don't yeah. need to get into now. But you, you apologized and shamed yourself in a way that was so fucking refreshing to me. You were like, "But what? I did something really stupid." No, I know. Like, I loved. I loved your apology. It was just like I. I shouldn't have done that. Everything I did was wrong. I am. I am account. I take full responsibility. No one should ever do this I'm really embarrassed and it, I'll never do it again it was so embarrassing and dumb <laughs> well you, you you survived you're fine you're surviving but you're thriving. you know what turns out I I breathe air I bleed the same way yeah. I make dumb decisions I make great decisions yeah. I'm just a human being yeah. you know yeah. sassy and, and <laughs> southern and and yeah. sassy <laughs> yeah I mean I was always really feisty yeah. my mom called me feisty yeah. <laughs> God. Um, sometimes it was well directed. Sometimes not. I think it's. I think it's overall stood you in good stead in a business where really being feisty is the only way to survive with some sort of sen semblance of sanity. Um, I couldn't believe what I was reading, by the way, in your recent Vanity Fair cover that the um, was it the New York Times in 2011 dared to post your Oscar win, call you a washed up, no longer. They they were saying that you were no longer a movie star. Because you hadn't oh, no. worked. No, it was the New Yorker. The New Yorker. Fair <laughs> enough. I apologize to the New York Times. I can't fucking believe that. You were already an Academy Award winner by then, weren't you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I mean, I had made a bunch, a string of really like nonsensical. Still, at 36, you can't call someone who's been so successful for so long washed up. That's fucking insane that that happened. What did it feel like when that ridiculous article came out? Did you read it at the time? Well, the story behind that is I was reading like just a profile about a director that I really liked. He was an actor director. And I was like, oh, I love that guy. I think he's so creative. And I'm reading and I'm reading and I'm reading. And I'm like, somewhere around, you know, New Yorker articles, it was like page six mm -hmm. of 12. Uh, this list of celebrities have completely were famous and just have completely obliterated their reputation by making terrible movies and they're just washed up. And it was like me, uh, Sandy Bullock was in it. And, and I think uh, maybe Tom Hanks was in there. Jesus. But it was like, it was like a whole <laughs> string Berry, of people. Like, and I was yeah. like, yeah, I was like, oh, but it really, I mean, it hurt my feelings. Because again, I'm just a human being. I read stuff, whatever I troll around for some bad news about myself, I can find it. 
Well, I'm really good at it. For whatever it's worth, I feel like some of the performances you've turned in in the years since that stupid fucking list have been some of your best and some of your most interesting and thought-provoking. Um, oh, thank but you. But it is a, it is a, it is really nice to watch you and Meryl and Laura Dern and all of these different women and Jennifer Aniston and Kerry Washington all now be able to prove that your shelf life no longer exists somewhere in your early thirties. It doesn't end somewhere in your early thirties. Before it used to be a oh. miracle to find work yeah. over a certain age, and now it feels like the most interesting roles are for women your age and older. These are the stories that yeah. are being told now. I remember being 35 and going to a financial advisor. And I've always been scared of money my whole life because of things that have happened in my past mm-hmm. and my family's past. Terrified. It, it just gets me terrible agita. And I go, went to a financial planner. I was 35 and he said, well, you need to start saving now because you're, you're not going to make any money in your 40s Fucking hell. at all. <laughs> your career will be over. I just, he's like, I, I know I've represented a lot of actresses start saving now for retirement because you will have 20 to 30 years while you won't work. Have you emailed him recently? No, I fired him. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you fired him, but you should send, uh, I don't know if you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, but a spite email. <laughs> you, should, you should definitely just be like, hey, just wanted to thank you for that sound advice um, about how poor I no, was when people, in my when, But I have to say, when people say dumb stuff to yeah. me, it actually, it doesn't bring me down. Yeah. It actually lights a fire under Great. me. I get like, oh, I'm going to prove them wrong. Oh, I love that. I love that. But also I'm petty enough to need to say something to their face. I don't believe in being the bigger man. I believe in being the smallest man. I uh, I don't I don't rise above I don't turn the other cheek I don't do any of that I am um, I'm down just to just to have a go at someone anyway we're going to go to another quick break. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May twelfth. Find tons of gifts from only thirty dollars at Nordstrom Rack: fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Okay, you've achieved so much uh, across the board of so many different areas, inside and outside of your own industry. You even have your own fucking clothing line. It's just, (laughs) it's it's infuriating how much you've achieved, uh, but also I love it. What do you think is something that you haven't mastered yet? And what are the next stories that you want to tell? I mean, getting, starting companies and being entrepreneurial I'm learning so much about being a businesswoman. Mm-hmm. That's something I completely did not understand before. Now I have uh, board meetings. I have multiple employees. I have, um, you know, just responsibilities, fiduciary mm-hmm. responsibilities to investors. So that has changed my life. And it's actually an amazing thing that I've learned a new vernacular and a new skill set. Um, I wouldn't say I'm the best at it but I wouldn't say I'm the worst. Yeah. I'm learning. Um, so that's been actually a great thing in my, my late thirties and early forties to learn that I am capable of something and that I had skills that applied to, to business that I didn't know were skills mm-hmm. like team building and, you know, um, respectful conversation and, and running meetings and groups of people. I'm, I'm actually really good at it. And I didn't know that. No, and, and you would have good reason not to before because we were always told just to be lucky to even have one lane. Rather well, than also, multiple. yes, stay in your yeah. lane. Stay in your lane. I'll never forget there was this nighttime comedian who went on making fun of myself, Jessica Alba, Gwyneth. And at the time, Blake Lively had a company that she'd mm-hmm. started. And he like completely made fun of all of our companies and was like, aren't these girls stupid for trying to be businesswomen? And didn't mention George Clooney and his tequila company. Mm-hmm. Didn't re- mention Robert De Niro and all his hotels and sushi restaurants. Didn't mention all the many men 
who have gone out of being an actor and tried entrepreneurial things. No one's made fun of Just, Mark Wahlberg's Wahlburgers. No. And, and, but why are women? Yeah. That's, it was funny. Like, why is it funny? What's, what's it been like going into boardrooms oh. before? Uh, before you'd had all of the success of Gone Girl and Morning Show and Big Little Lies and now Little Fires Everywhere. I mean, you've now proven that you guys can make it and that you guys are in demand and you have different shows at different networks. You aren't tied to any one company. You are becoming your own kind of mini superpower, I guess, and you are enveloping so many other great talents within that. What was it like when all of this started, when you said you wanted to be a producer, when you said you wanted to buy books, what were those attitudes that you would, what were the faces like that you would walk into of those predominantly male boardrooms? I'll tell you, I got, um, it wasn't, it wasn't good. When I first started, oh yeah. I mean, I have very specific stories that would take a long time to tell you, but around, I would bring a book to a studio and then they'd try to take me off of it. Mm. Um, and then they would say, you can't come to any of the meetings. You can't read any of the scripts. We're hiring the director and we're cutting you out of it. And I'd have to call and beg and beg and beg to get to see the dailies or, and then by the time I made three hits after wild gone girl and big little lies, people started taking me seriously, but it took me three hits, three movies that were either critically well-received and commercially well-received or both Mm -hmm. for people to actually go, oh, she knows what she's doing and we're actually going to listen. And even beyond that, I still have times where I feel this, this big in a corporate meeting because even though I have millions of dollars invested by different people in my media company, it's not as big as some men's companies. It's not. Mm. And sometimes it feels like... <laughs> when will it be enough? When, when is it going to be enough? And, and when, when do women who have been put in this marginalized place, when do we get to emerge as the leaders that we are? Yeah. Because I think there's this miscalculation. Sorry, I get upset. No, because no, I understand. I feel, I feel you. It's not about me. It's yeah. like, it's like. I feel like I know everyone who is trying to do the same things as me. And whether you're in Hollywood or you're in banking or you're in advertising or you're in healthcare and someone doesn't take you seriously, even though you have 30 years of experience and you think, good God, when are things going to change? But they are. And I have to, I am an optimist. So I, I look at the little cracks in the ceilings. I look at the... Well, big fuck off cracks. I mean, bunch of Emmys, bunch (laughs) of golden globes. You're doing fine. But I no, know what you it's mean. Good, but it's like, I know, I know all the men who have been doing the same thing as me who make 10 times what I make mm-hmm. and it's all relative. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes I'll call those men who are my acting counterparts and say, Hey, what did you make on your very comparable deal? And I'll tell them, I make a third of what you make and don't cry for me, Argentina. It's a lot of money, but why explain to me why? Yeah. I love that you ask men about how much money they earn. I ask men and women how much money they earn all the time. And I feel like it's been they made. They have to tell me. Yeah. But what? what Do they get uncomfortable tell about me. telling you? Some of them won't tell me. But the ones who do, I'm infinitely grateful because they're part of the change. And I will say, I want to say about Time's Up and about yeah. creating companies that put women at the center. We're not trying to create monocultures. Exactly. It's just Mono equality. Monocultures. Yeah. Yeah equality. And we're just fighting for 50, 50. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and accurate representation of what the world looks like. I'm not trying to get rid of all guys. Mm-hmm. I, I love men. I have two sons. I have a wonderful husband. I have a great brother. Like their, their voices are important too. They're just mm-hmm. not the only important voices in the conversation. And I had men in Hollywood who would never come front and center about times that but some of the most important men in our business gave me such great counsel, gave mm-hmm. money, gave their time, made important phone calls that made a huge difference. And no one will ever know what they did because they don't want to take credit for it. But there are wonderful mm-hmm. men in my business. And it's also great to be able to admit that it's 
frustrating you know because I think because of what how we are written about and how we are projected uh even if we are trying to be as real as we can on our social media it looks like we are always just constantly winning and succeeding and there are moments of such intense frustration and anyone else out there who are starting their own business even if they've only got three employees or if they are going out on a venture or, or starting a brand new career at 30 uh, or 40 even after their children have grown up please know that we are we are with you and feel a lot of those same things even though for sure we come from a place of of amazing privilege it is it is an emotional journey that you should never feel bad about yourself for there's nothing weak about it you are not doing anything wrong even for people with all of this helpful shit and all of this privilege and all of this awareness uh as in people being aware of us it's still so fucking hard and i think it's great when women as successful as yourself who have all the kids and all of the the good shit all of the great business all of the awards all of the accolades that you can still admit that sometimes it still just feels like you're still climbing that hill well the awards don't make you know. happy you know yeah. and money doesn't make you happy how you treat other people mm-hmm. and what you do with like to whom much is given much is expected I really hold that in my heart every day what do you do with it yeah you know I say that to my kids all the time um because I was always taught that as a little kid and we were talking yesterday about someone who we hold in high regard yeah. who had an aberration. I don't think that person, no. I'm not done with that person. No, never. That person is just growing and learning. And also the times are changing and we have to understand that things are updating. I think that's something that you, we won't go into it too far, but like that's something that I loved about you covering uh, the nuanced and completely different side of me too than any other rhetoric that we'd really seen in the morning show. You covered the point of view of the man and also and the nuances of his situation and the accusations against him and also how it feels to be friends with and love someone who's done a terrible thing at a time where we didn't know how terrible that thing was when that thing was more hypernormalized and accepted yeah and how we can be we can hold many different ideas like there is gray in a lot of this right there are people who have done horrible things Mm -hmm. that are just not forgivable. And then there are people who have acted in a way that they thought was appropriate because of hundreds of years of conditioning and are willing to have conversations and be contrite. And that's a whole different thing. Yeah. Well, that's the difference right? with cancel culture is they haven't done irrevocable harm. They're willing to learn and to shut the door on them only does us a disservice because there's a potential allies, a potential uh, member of our army that we are turning our backs on. They are ammunition. They, they form our wall with us. We need them. We don't really have the luxury yet of turning down people who want to change or want to help us just because they made a mistake before. Cancel culture drives me bonkers because it's like... It was a great idea. It's just been, as with everything, that's a great idea, horrendously misused. Yeah. Yeah. We just haven't, we haven't used it. We've gone, we've got cancelitis. We're in a craze of, of like whack-a-mole with everyone right now. <laughs> so um, where would you say that Hollywood needs to step up? As someone who is a veteran, who's seeing it from all the different angles, especially now that you are so entrenched in the inner business and the hiring and the firing of it, where else does it need to step up? There's multiple different answers yeah. to that because I do think um, we need to have uh more a proliferation of more media companies like my own. They're hard, they're hard to get funded. It, it's hard to have the right uh, structure there. So helping people any way I can to do what mm-hmm. I've done with Hello Sunshine is really important to me. High up um, executives that represent different ideas. Um, that's really important. These, these major media conglomerates ha- have boards. It's important that the audiences know that they can say, I, I really don't see myself represented here. And perhaps that's because there's nobody on that green light committee. And it filters that, down. It filters down. So it comes from the top and it also comes from hiring. So there's not a lot of opportunity created for different people. People who grew up different ways can't start, you know, socioeconomically, like not able to, to take a lower than minimum wage job to get their foot in the door in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. We got to address that. And too. we still need to get some more perverts out. There are still some fucking pervs and they're rolling around. <laughs> and we need Hopefully to... the justice system will deal yeah, with that. Exactly. No, I... I don't mean us physically. Ah. I don't mean you and me as vigilantes. Yeah. 
running around <laughs> arresting people with a citizen's arrest. Oh, I just mean that we still that. we still need to we still need to drain some more swamp. Um, thank you so much for being so candid with me today. Thank you for doing this on a bad day, and for mm. telling us so much about your story and the reasoning and and lessons behind them. Uh, I really appreciate you. Before you go, can I just ask you? Reese Witherspoon, what do you weigh? I love this question that you ask. I think it's so lovely. It because we are all an accumulation of the things we've experienced. So I weigh 30 years as an actor and a creator and entertainer. I weigh um, finding my purpose in life to tell stories and help other women tell their stories. I am proud mother of three incredibly thoughtful, conscientious children. Mm -hmm. Um, I weigh um, my contribution that I plan to give back to the world. And those are the things that I feel really, really good about. Oh, and I weigh, you know, I weigh as funny as I am on any really great day. (laughs) (laughs) And I have to, you know, it's my, that is my greatest value to myself is I feel like I'm funny. And I, I, I feel like it's a gift from God that like, I can say something funny and I don't know where the heck it came from, but I can make a person laugh or smile. And I feel like that is such a superpower right now. Anybody out there, your smile, your laugh, your ability to make people laugh, please spread it all around like confetti. Yeah. And also like for all the shit that even I have spoken about the fact that this industry sometimes can take itself too seriously uh, as to its value. In moments like this, you remember that, yes, of course, we are still not pediatric brain surgeons, but there is such value in entertainment, whatever form of art it comes in. This is the moment where I have been saved in the last couple of weeks through my anxiety and throughout my life by great comedians, great stories, uh, great TV shows and songs and nostalgia, uh, thanks to artists such as yourself. So thanks. Stay safe. Stay clean. I'm not doing a good (laughs) thing. Yeah, stay home. (laughs) And and all of the love in the world. Thank you, Reese Witherspoon. Thank you, Jamila. A quick thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Uh, Kimmy Lucas, my producer, and Sophia Jennings, who is also one of the producers on the podcast. A big thank you to my boyfriend, James Blake, who I forced to make the theme tune for this. And uh, I love it very much. And uh, I'd like to thank myself. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.